Hello, and welcome to FPJ Stories with me, Michael Barker. In this, our third episode, I speak to Caroline Drummond, the Chief Executive of LEAF. Caroline has been with the organisation since it began, and now, as it approaches its 30th anniversary, she looks back on all that it's achieved and lays out the strategy for the next 10 years. In a wide-ranging interview, we discuss nutrition, sustainable farming, the obesity strategy, and much more. Also, for the very first time, Caroline talks publicly about her battle with cancer and discusses how nutrition can play a key role in helping people with serious illnesses get back to full health. You're listening to the podcast version of this recording. To watch the video version, head on over to fpj.co.uk or search Fresh Produce Journal on YouTube. But now, on with the show. Hello, Caroline. How are you today? Really well. Hi there, Michael. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad at all. As we're talking, the weather seems to have finally turned after all these months of good weather. Have you, have you had a nice summer? We have. Uh, it's been, you know, we've had a good mix of rain and sunshine. So I think that's been really quite good. It's good for farming. Um, yeah. It's been a bit of a delay for some farmers, uh, but I think it's, it's, yes, let's hope we don't get the winter we had last year. That's for sure. Yeah, I think we could all do without that this year. But at least, yeah, the sun's been pretty good for fresh produce sales, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> we'll all be yeah, turning no, to the winter veg soon. Yes, yes. Bring in the, the cabbages and the cauliflowers. That'll be good. <laughs> Indeed. And also coming up next year will be the 30th anniversary of Leaf. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I can't believe where the time has all gone. Uh, we're, yeah, it is. It, golly, it's gone really, really quickly. But we're really... Gosh, the amount of changes that have taken place over the last 30 years has been astronomical. Yes, indeed. And, and, and that's definitely something I want to dig into with you. But, but just before we do, what have you got planned for the 30th anniversary celebrations? Is there anything special that you'll be doing as an organisation? Well, we'll be launching a 10-year strategy. So that'll take us to 2031. So we will have, of course, delivered all these sustainable development goals uh, we would have met the Paris Agreement in terms of looking at uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and uh, for us as an organisation, uh, of course, we'll, you know, we're hoping to get out onto farm with things like Open Farm Sunday. But I think a core part is going to be really aiming to scale up the activities of what we do in producing more sustainable food, which will be very exciting. Absolutely. Um, Let's go back to the beginning when you started. Uh, 1991, I guess that would yes. have been, if my maths, yes, yes. Uh, if my maths <laughs> serves me well. Um, what was the ambition when you started out with LEAF, when, when you set up the organisation? What, what, what was the hope to achieve? And, and how far do you feel that you've come along that road? Well, I mean, interestingly, my, my first job description, it was for a three-year project. Um, I had been lecturing at an agricultural college. Uh, I was lecturing in crops and uh, soils and in fact I'm, I'm a qualified forklift truck driver instructor so I was doing that as well and oh. uh, it was a three-year project with the aim to reposition agriculture in the mind of the general public. Now for me I'm not originally from farming, my father was a diver in the navy and this whole area of, of every time you know you get involved in a little bit more of farming you realize wow that's just amazing and 
how little there is an opportunity for most people to actually connect with the story behind their food. Um, so that was, you know, the, the headline ambition was very much about repositioning agriculture in, in, the, in the mind of the general public, but framing it in a practical, realistic and sustainable way. So for us, that's been our mantra, really, with integrated farm management. Um, I think we haven't quite repositioned agriculture. I don't know if we've fully succeeded over the last 30 years, but what we have succeeded is the opportunity to extend uh, what was originally a, a cross and a pan-European project uh, for now some 30 years and and I hope another 30 years beyond that as well. Yeah, I mean, could you have imagined that it would have become as as significant in the food production and well and certification sector that it has today? Not at all. I mean, we always had huge ambition and uh, some of that has obviously been met and I think uh, what inspires me throughout the whole time is the farmers we work with and the people in the industry who are you know, just so can-do and really wanting to try and drive change and experiment and adapt and develop. And, and that, for me, has been so rewarding, really, more than anything. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So you mentioned the 10-year strategy. What, what can you tell us about, about what the organisation wants to achieve over the next decade? Well, we, we work as an organization in three streams. So one of that is about knowledge generation and exchange. So that's our network of demonstration farms. One's in the marketplace with LeafMark. Um, and in fact, some 43% of UK fruit and veg is now LeafMark certified. And the third area is in public engagement and, and education with uh, Leaf Education uh, and obviously Open Farm Sunday. Um, our, our big sort of strategy is to kind of build and develop and scale up the activity in those areas and that's not just through us as an organization but through the partnerships that we have and will develop um, and we may you know and that's not just here in the UK but it will be on an international level we're already working with some 27 countries particularly with LeafMark and with some of our education activities so that's you know that's really exciting yeah. And, you know, every time we work or visit some of those farmers, whether it be physically or electronically, you know, it, kind of farmers of the world unite to try and create solutions for things like climate change, improving biodiversity and, mm. and making sure we're producing healthy, safe, quality food. So that'll be quite a core part. Um, it's likely that we will really push on three areas, namely health, diversity and nourish. So health, uh, ensuring we've got healthy bottom lines for our farming businesses, a healthy environment and healthy people. Um, and of course, uh, healthy livestock and, and you know, being a central part of that too. Uh, with regards to diversity, uh, again, diversity of our cropping systems, diversity, you know, and, and the veg sector are, wow, you know, just <laughs> so brilliant at that. But when you think about it, you know, there are 300,000 edible plants out there and, you know, at best we're eating maybe 200 and that's if we're being really inventive and looking at the whole spectrum of, of particularly Asian food. Um, and so, you know, the diversity in our food choices is going to be key. And using that, again, you know, linking back to the health piece, you know, we should be eating for health rather than, you know, reaching out to medicine pockets for health. And uh, then, of course, the diversity around um, the environment, uh, how we work with nature, how we learn from nature, how we adapt with nature, and how we use nature to adapt and support 
changes and mitigation for climate change um, challenges. And then, of course, the diversity of our food culture. Um, I, mean, I think here in the UK, we have one of the most diverse cultures. And really, we don't look to engage in a full way to think about how we are a little bit more diverse in what we eat. And, you know, yes, we eat curry or Mexican, but actually we could be so much more inventive. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been really lucky. I, I worked in Barbados, obviously, I, you know, I get all the hard gigs um, when I was a student. And, you know, when you look at uh, the Asian, uh, well, the West Indian food, you know, gosh, we don't touch any of that here in the UK. So there's some really great opportunities. And then nourish, we want to nourish the brain. We've got to nourish our spirit and our hearts. And, uh, you know, that fits well and, and uh, very cleanly as well, I think, with the mental health challenges, whether it be for farmers and growers or whether it actually be for, you know, well, people in general, citizens as a, as a whole. Yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, some really interesting angles there that, that we'll come into in the next few minutes or so. Um, in terms of LEAF as an organisation and as a, as, a, as a mark as well, um, I know you've spoken about the potential to export that further i mean it, it is already operating internationally isn't it but but you see more potential to to go further with that definitely um i think you know it's it's a really important for, uh, at two levels one and because obviously you know here in the uk uh you know if we're going to exp if we're going to be importing produce either when it's out of season or that product that we don't grow in this country and it's really critical that that is meeting the same, the same high standards of the requirements of our farmers. You know, that, that's always been really important for us. And I think the other area is the fact that the challenges that are just around the corner are far bigger than any one of us can either create a solution for or imagine. And I think, you know, the more that we can operate on an international level, the more that we can share learnings and build you know, much more resilient farming systems. Um, we had a, a farmer meeting last night and, you know, I always love it. Uh, I'm always so inspired by the ideas that come through. And, you know, we have fresh produce growers, we have livestock growers, we have arable farmers, uh, and we have horticultural and enclosed environment farmers. And yeah. they're all saving the same ideas and sharing the same ideas and looking looking through the, the problems through their own lens but at the same time opening their minds and thinking hmm that's interesting they can do that in an enclosed environment is that something i can introduce into dairy farming or something mm. like that so you know there's some really good and important dynamics that we need to share you know farming is not a secret it should not be a secret and we have so many opportunities to be part of the really strong solution yeah most definitely i mean that that brings us on quite nicely i think to the to the issue of where LEAF is positioned and it is it is very current it's very topical and it's exactly what the farming industry needs isn't it because uh how concerned are you about about the future of sustainable farming and and the impact of farming in its current form on the planet at the moment yeah i'm, I'm i mean uh sometimes you know you have that discussion and and people say oh well you know What's going to be the penalty if we don't do that? You know, will it mean that farmers will get paid less? Will it mean that food goes up? Well, the big penalty is actually that we don't address the big issue of climate change. Mm. Um, I think um, because 
you know, we are principally across the world, a very urban society. Sometimes people have neglected to understand fully the systems uh, that occur within farming. And so for us, that's integrated farm management. But we will see increasingly things like the circular agriculture and circular economy actually coming forward where we have a, a less leaky system and, and we're looking at much more attention to detail. And that's something that's really, really key. Um, and we work at the nuances within the system as well. And I think, you know, yes, it is, it is something that we should all be taking very seriously. And the great thing is that as a farming industry, we do, um, you know, and, and as a consequence, we can create solutions and actually make the solutions happen. And where as consumers, we can respond to that, it's therefore to support those farmers who've gone the extra mile in delivering good environmental practices and more sustainable practices. Yeah, and that's that key. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely key, yes. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, farmers, I think they, they really want to do the right thing by the environment. They want to be sustainable. There's, of course, a cost attached to that. And there should be, I guess, a recognition from, from consumers, from supermarkets, that, that if what they're having to do costs a bit extra, that, that they need to be uh, recompensed for the work that they're doing, don't they? They do. And I think particularly in the transition time that we've got now, um, not only have we got obviously Brexit, but the recovery from COVID, um, all of this equates to the fact that we need to be doing some you know, huge amount of, of change and that requires investment. And when you've got so many changes sort of stacking against us, the nervousness to invest is, is a really big challenge. So that needs to be supported with huge ambition from governments, both at a sort of a national level with things like, um, in fact, the, the national food strategy here in the UK with Henry Dimbleby's um, uh, paper and, and work, um, but on a national, uh, international level, the United Nations and FAO's work. And I think, um, there is, yes, there is a nervousness from farmers, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, cheap food comes at a, at a huge price. Um, so we do need to be prepared to actually invest in value, for, you know, valued food, which has all the criteria that farmers have around the quality, the transparency, the food safety that we take for granted, um, right across the board, like animal welfare issues, and of course, looking after the environment. So yeah. packaging that is something that's, that's very, very key. Mm. And uh, I mean, tying into all of that, the government wants the country to be net zero by 2050, I think it is. Uh, the NFU has gone quite a bit further and says we want the farming industry to be net zero by 2040. Um, I imagine you're supportive of, of goals such as that. Maybe, maybe you think it should go even further. But do you feel that that's an achievable ambition? And, and what do we need to do to get there? Um, obviously very supportive of it and particularly the NFU's goal. Um, one of our farmers, Duncan Farrington, who I'm sure many will know from Farrington Oils, has achieved net carbon zero and uh, net plastic waste as well. So he's a, he's a first in the world, uh, which is just fantastic. And he's done that off the back of a lot of his hard work, but also, uh, as he very kindly says, to the fact that he's Leafmark certified. Uh, and that's helped drive him to that level of ambition. But I think in order to get there, um, measuring is really key. And so for us, you know, as an integral part of Leafmark, that's, you know, that's your starting point. 
Um, but if we think what happens, if I look back at what's happened over the last 30 years, technology's changed. Our first beef audit was carbon copy documents. And the farmers were sending us back the ripped versions of the carbon copy. Now it's interactive online, whiz whiz, um, and the technology around tractors, precision farming, uh, nuances on crop protection and integrated pest management strategies, biologicals. You know, it's changed so much. So if you fast forward even 10 years from now, you know, our big achievement would be to do away with fossil fuels and to do away with concrete. Uh, and you hear some really exciting stories like uh, miscrete, where concrete or, or, uh, is, is being made out of miscanthus. Oh, wow. uh, University of Exeter are doing some work in that area. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see hydrogen tractors. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it, the will is there. And if you look, and, I mean, I can remember back in 1999, when we were looking at farmers measuring their energy input uh they were doing really well they could do electricity gas and fuel and then all of a sudden it dropped and we thought whoa what's going on here and it was because in 2000 we started seeing the introduction of renewables and farmers thinking oh yes i can put in solar i can put in wind turbines i can put in ground i can put in ground heat things like that so all of a sudden you know although our metric dropped the thinking of the farmers to try and approach the solutions in a different way was was completely reset. Mm. And then it started to improve. And in fact, now 56% uh, 56 of our leafmark growers will have renewables uh, or more than one. So I think, you know, we've seen a dramatic change in this sort of area. Yeah, yeah most definitely. Um, Part of the story that, that, that LEAF has created has been helping to reconnect the public with, with the farms. And I think have had a lot of success in that area. And, and one of those strands has been through Open Farm Sunday, hasn't it? It, it? it must have been quite a pleasure to see how that's grown over the years. And also a challenge, I guess, this year, because obviously a big part of Open Farm Sunday is, is getting people out on the farm. And you've been managing to do it digitally. Uh, what are you able to achieve by doing it digitally? And are you still able to make that connection where people can't actually be there and see it and touch it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, the, the great thing about farming is exactly as you say, Michael, you know, it, it touches every sense that we have. And, uh, you know, see, and the more, you know, more of, of our senses that we touch, the deeper the memory, the deeper the learning, the deeper the appreciation and therefore trust. So Open Farm Sunday has been a huge success and, and a, you know, a big thank you to all the farmers and growers who take part. So each year about 400 farmers, 10,000 helpers, uh, welcoming over a quarter of a million people now. And so that's over 2.1 million over the last 15 years. Um, this year, as you say, it's been different. We ran it in June and in fact, we've just run it in September as well over the weekend. It has been, uh, we're just so amazed. It's been a huge success. Uh, there's been great engagement. Um, I think the impressions will probably reach beyond a million, oh, wow. uh, which is very exciting. And um, it, 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 actually sort of, it actually gives a little bit of a different dimension. Um, so when you're going out on farm, the farmers are, are really proud and 
everybody loves to touch a farmer you know they love the story they love that opportunity to hear that big big story and i think what online farm Sunday has done is provided a little bit extra because you kind of see a little bit more you get a little bit closer to everything and um a little bit more behind the scenes and of course we've seen the huge diversity right across the country whether it be in jersey with jersey royals whether it be down in cornwall with dairy in fact we came to visit uh my husband and me um whether it be over uh, meeting people like jake freestone or andrew francis or going all the way up into scotland it's just been brilliant and in fact um the weekend that we ran in september we went over to ghana mm. and uh, blue skies who produce the most beautiful pineapples um, it was just such a celebration of the care and attention that has gone into production. And it was, I think it's just so infectious because you, as soon as you see the farmers and their passion and commitment to the soil, their water, the recognition that, you know, climate change really smacks you in the face when you're farming because you get wet or you get dry or you get burnt or <laughs> and uh, uh so yeah it's it's added a different dimension um and i think going forward um of course you know we we really hope to get people out back onto farm but we will be alongside that extending the opportunity and the reach for those people who are either deprived of the opportunity to actually go outside at all um or just because of yeah the other challenges that we all have yeah indeed and i i guess kind of connecting with the public is something that that a lot of people want to see as part of the, the national food strategy in in some ways and we've obviously seen the first part of that and that was very much focused on the short term on, on brexit on getting through covid and, and some of the issues we face in the immediate uh future um the second part which obviously henry dimbleby is working on it is going to be coming out and that's the bit that's going to address the really long-term future. What do you, as, as an individual and as an organisation, want to see in that second part in terms of the, the future development and, and the positioning well, of farming? I, mm, I, and I think there is such an opportunity um, for farming to be part of the solution in the health agenda. So I was really lucky in 2013, I did an upfield scholarship and the topic was what can farmers learn from science to improve the nutrition of our food and i went to places like taiwan and the netherlands the, the restaurant of the future at Wageningen university uh, so i had you know just i uh, went to canada uh, and it was a real insight into some of the opportunities of recognizing that actually as an industry we're not really hooked in to diet and we're not really hooked in to see food as, as a solution to, to improved health. Uh, and there's, you know, I think it's Aristotle or something, that famous saying, you know, let, let food be thy medicine. And I think, you know, as one of, the, one of our members said to me a few weeks ago, um, I get it now, you know, if I can do those little bottles of medicines and vitamins and things like that, if I can get that business kicked to touch, because people are buying food for the value of their nutrients, yeah. then I've won. And I think yeah. that's the challenge. We haven't quite connected that market nutrient and uh, density solution. Um, and we haven't put farming at the center of 
food and the diet piece. And, and that I think would be the great thing. And of course, underpinned by more sustainable farming as well. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, there's an interesting balance there, isn't there? Because people, marketers will tell you, oh, we can't just talk about health because it switches people off. Uh, we should just only talk about enjoyment. But actually what you're saying makes, makes a lot of sense that absolutely we should be talking about health, shouldn't we? Um, yes, of course, you, you need people to want to eat uh, fruit and vegetables and, and other healthy foods as well. But uh, how do you get that balance between prioritizing flavor and prioritizing saying, hang on a minute, this is actually great for your health? Mm. And, and I think there's been some brilliant work and um, Guelph University did uh, some fantastic work about, um, you know, this is what we should be eating. So uh, I think it's Michael Pollan, you know, eat food, i.e. stuff that looks like what it originated from, not too much and mainly vegetables. And, you know, that is the eat well plate is a very great guide. And then you look at what we actually produce. And you know, we should be eating about 50% vegetables, plus or minus sort of thing. And actually we're producing about 50% cereals. And that, that's only obviously on a global perspective. So if we could just you know, adjust that all a little bit more so that we really are upping the volume and upping the noise and amplifying our role as an industry to be the solution for, for health. Um, and it's absolutely key. And, and the problem is the market focus is not quite there. Yeah. And you're also an advocate, aren't you, of, of boosting the nutritional content of, of, of food as well. You know, if we, if we can't necessarily get people eating more of it, can we get them to eat stuff that's even healthier than it already is? Yes. And, and I think we've seen, particularly in developing countries, we've seen some really good examples, uh, like the orange-fleshed sweet potato, which is high in vitamin A, which has helped create um, some solutions, particularly where there's been blindness. Um, and we definitely need more of that. Uh, I think it's often said that, you know, obviously the soil reflects the nutrients that are going to be pushed up into the plant itself. And again, you know, the real spotlight now on improving soil health is such a core factor. And, and that, without a doubt, is only going to be more beneficial from a climate change point of view because we're we're sequestering carbon much more effectively and then if we can enhance the nutrient area then you know, added bonus win-win yeah um i'm interested in your view on the national food sorry the uh, obesity strategy which which ties into this whole debate because it seems to have divided opinion quite a bit some people favoring the uh, the stick over the carrot should we say more regulation arguably a little bit more of a nanny state approach others say no it should be more about positivity and, and encouraging people where, where, where do you sit on on where we need to go to help with this mm, I think I mean over the years one of the things uh, that I've learned in terms of driving change is is pretty well there's four things uh, and that's the, sort of the principles that we try and adopt in sustainability and I, I use this as a parallel in encouraging the adoption of sustainability so one is the show and tell so, you know, I, I learn from somebody else and therefore that's an incentive enough and I can pick that up. One is uh, it's the right thing to do. It's easy for me to do. Uh, one is the marketplace so I can buy into it. And then if all else fails, legislate. And I think what makes things stick better and, and most effectively is, is 
the buy-in of those first three. And I think one of the things that COVID has obviously uh, demonstrated, COVID-19 has obviously demonstrated is habits can change. And, um, you know, there's always a spectrum of change. So do you want me to start doing something? Do you want me to stop doing something? Do you want me just to do it once? Or do you want me to continue doing it? And I think we often design things in a very brutish way in the belief that everybody's the same, everybody's going to respond to those levers and uh, in the same way, which doesn't happen. So therefore, it's really critical to have a, a really strong spectrum. So if you find, if you have a legislative approach, make sure that it is actually backed up by a really strong and collective area. And, and where the successes have happened across the globe in the obesity challenges have been places like Denmark or in France, where uh, they may have had some taxation issue, um, they may have introduced some taxation, but alongside that, they've had community engagement. They've had markets and communication um, activities going alongside, and they've made it easy for people. And I think that's something that's really critical. And, and, and I would hope, and I, you know, I strongly believe that's the sort of approach that Henry Dimbleby will adapt and adopt because um, he gets, you know, this is not a single issue. It has to be an holistic approach in really trying to enhance the improve health. Yeah, most definitely. And um, on, on the subject of health, and uh, this is obviously much more personal, and, and, and I, I appreciate that it's not something that you've, you've talked about publicly before. So, so I do you know, appreciate you agreeing to bring it up. But, but you, you were diagnosed with breast cancer yourself uh, two or three years ago, I believe. Uh, I have to say you look really well, so I'm delighted to see that. Um, how, how, how is that going? What, what was that experience like for you? And, and what's, what's your journey been since then? Yeah, I mean, I, I think is for anybody who goes through a, uh, an illness uh, and uh, particularly one like cancer, it is, it's a huge shock. Um, you always think, oh, it won't happen to me, uh, although the statistics are pretty scary. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I had a lumpectomy, I had chemo and I had radiotherapy. So I had the full works. Uh, and it is, it's, it's, um, as somebody said, it's kind of, I think it was my dentist that said, well, it's the nearest, chemo is the nearest thing to killing somebody that's legal. Uh, and so your immune system is fairly sensitive. Uh, I was pretty lucky, if you call it lucky, uh, in that, um, my body responded very well and you know touch words um i'm two years two years clear so that's very encouraging and really Fabulous. helpful um <laughs> so <laughs> um but i think one of the things that it, it you know it, it yes of course it makes you rethink everything it makes you understand who your real friends are i was lucky i carried on work um and I was able to, you know, pretty well go to work the next day after chemo. Um, I lost all my hair. That was hideous and horrible. Uh, but thank goodness for, you know, good wigs and an eyebrow crayons. And I'll just tell you a funny story. So when I first wore my wig, I went, in fact, it was going to the Farmer's Guardian Awards. And somebody went over the top of saying, oh my god your hair looks brilliant your hair looks wonderful and she didn't know because i didn't tell many people and after it i just had to say it, it's a wig oh no <laughs> it's, like, it's not my okay my hair is obviously not that nice usually 
but um, it does make you reassess things. And I, um, I think what challenged me was I asked lots of questions anyway. And uh, when I started asking questions about the chemo drugs, the doctor couldn't tell me their mode of action, which you know, every one of your readers and growers will know the mode of actions of the chemicals that they will use uh, on their crops. Mm. So I found that one, you know, there are questions that they don't expect people to ask. And I think uh, we, we live very remotely, I'm married to a dairy farmer, and um, the support, uh, you know, I was working full time, but the support for people with cancer in rural areas is actually pretty thin. And, um, you know, I wanted to, yeah, I did want to get fit. I wanted to eat better. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not obese. And because I wasn't obese, uh, I didn't fit in the right category for getting additional support. I was asking continually for help and support. A lot of it's directed towards Macmillan, who have done a, you know, they do a brilliant job. Uh, but they don't operate in county, you know, small, uh, small regions. And um, uh, in addition to that, you know, doctors don't look to health and don't look to the diet to support the health. And I, I find actually that's a real opportunity and perhaps something that, you know, Henry Dimbleby should be really looking to. When people come to a crunch point in their life, i.e. a real wake-up call on your health, uh, which could mean that you could die, um, then actually it should be supported by your food and your nutrition and your exercise programs alongside that as well. And I, and I think that's really missing because it's the one time people really start sort of thinking, oh my goodness, you know, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. So is there an opportunity as well for... For producers, and there's, it's an absolute minefield, isn't it, around what you can say in terms of legally making health claims and so on. But yeah. is there more that the, the, the fresh produce sector in particular, I guess, could, could do to work with these organisations to say, this is, this is time to be putting good, nutritious food into your body. Um, you know, it'll make you feel better. Um, funnily enough, my daughter, who's as a, as a 16-year-old, doesn't, <laughs> eats as many fruit and vegetables as she should should we say um <laughs> when she gets sick she'll be like oh, i just want some fruit i just want you know it, it's hard enough to get her to eat it when at normal times but when she's sick she, she voluntarily wants to eat it so you do you do wonder whether there is more that can be done around that no i i think there is and it has as you say the real challenges around the labeling and the claims associated with the labeling and I think this is where there is such an opportunity to, to really look in terms of say, understanding, you know, what, what's the pairing of different fruit and veg. Um, there's so much wonderful work, work and research that's happened right through to, you know, eat the colors of a rainbow type approaches. Um, and the importance of, yes, I mean, our, our daughter was a vegetarian until relatively recently, in fact, university broker making sandwiches in the morning at three o'clock, I think always break <laughs> every good student. Um, but I, you know, the, the challenge of, uh, in fact, as you say, you know, your daughter, my daughter, that body beautiful image where they are, again, they're connecting with diet and all their fats, protein, carbs. They want to look like somebody from Love Island. 
and in addition to that they're actually sort of not really looking at the diet they're looking at the content of the the chemical content almost of the diet and i think we need to sort of draw back because the beauty of food is the story and the growth of it and the care and the culture um you know one of my sister-in-laws is peruvian and you know her meals and some of the traditional meals that she grows are absolutely beautiful and i i love eating them because they represent those foods that are very valuable to her and her culture so i think um we have such an opportunity whether it be in the raw materials or the composites the composite piece of all those materials put together in a meal which is what as consumers we have a meal we don't of course we buy carrots and we buy peppers and things like that but we don't kind of just tend to just eat them yeah yeah definitely great um I just want to go back to how it all began for you and, and, and what you wanted to be when you were growing up. You, you said that you weren't necessarily from a farming factory, family. In fact, uh, your, your father was a deep sea diver for the Navy. Did, did you have any ambitions to go into something similar? And, and how did you, you wind up in the uh, agriculture industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly spent a week, you know, I was brought up next, right next to the sea. And I spent most of my time in yeah, dinghies or under the water um and uh yes i guess uh what really changed it for me um i think i must have been about four or five and i had mumps and i was sort of sent over to the isle of wight to go and uh, spend the time in uh, quarantine in effect with my grandparents it was the time of mouse and all the cattle that were outside their house disappeared overnight and to me, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to be a vet. I um, thought, wow, you know, gosh, um, uh, yeah, that's, I want to try and solve these problems. And I think agriculture then became more of a part of what I did. Um, I picked veg, uh, you know, when I, was, when I was 14, I could go and just walk down the cliff where we lived, um, which is in Hampshire, and uh, go work on local farms. Um, in fact, Harford's have got the, their claim to fame. I worked for them as a stripper. Uh, and so I think that each time I've got engaged with a little bit more of farming, whether it's working in Wales or whether, you know, as every good agricultural student does after I left Seal Hane with an agricultural degree, I travelled for a year in Australia and New Zealand and across Thailand and Mexico and places like that. So I think. Um, and each bit of me has cemented on uh, and more love for an industry that, well, now I have had years, gosh, years and years <laughs> in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you were one of the first uh, MDS students, weren't you? I was, uh, yes. Uh, so they just started. And um, in fact, I put in the application from when I was in Australia. And I came back straight into a job. Uh, working at uh, Hattie, which is now part of Shropshire's, it was Greens then, and uh, I worked for AH Worth as well. I left a bit earlier, I ended up, in fact, I ended up working in Packhouse and then I went to Worth to, to lecture. Um, but I have a huge admiration for what MDS has done, you know, for so many people and is continuing to do in terms of growing. It is such 
an important learning opportunity and skills and that motivation of skills is absolutely key in the industry mm, yeah definitely um so i mean to, to to round it all off you've you've been 30 years with leaf um fantastic um but you are you ever tempted to 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 leave to do something else how, how do you how do you keep motivating yourself to to you know continue doing the, the the same role and with the same enthusiasm that you do what what, what gets you out of bed in the morning yeah um I, I i love what i do i'm very privileged uh in that it has developed expanded adapted and changed over the years uh if it wasn't for you know our wonderful team at the leaf office and of course the brilliant farmers and our, our you know fantastic and inspiring leaf board and all the people our members uh, who constantly nudge and you know those people that we work with there's always a little bit of an itch and I think one of the things you know as an organization we have um, we've come through good and bad times and um, we've been hungry and I think that's one thing the NGO sector certainly learns is hunger where you don't have enough money uh, you know there's been years and years and years where I've gone through Christmas thinking Oh my goodness you know is this organization a going concern next year we're in a much more secure place now thankfully as an organization but over that time you know i'd sleep on the floor in the leaf office i would you know we'd sort of beg borrow steel we only sell, sell biscuits uh, or obviously the odd bit of fruit probably yeah, only if it was given to us notified um right. but i hear and ideas we steal ideas uh, i make no qualms about that um but i think that's for me has been that constant nudge that constant we've got to do a really really good job um uh, alongside the sort of the ambition for obviously world domination which of course is ultimately what we'd like to achieve with leaf uh, yes. <laughs> so um and i and i think you know we have the best and most wonderful farmers not you know here in the uk but also across the globe and they are proud brilliant people and i and i think for me that has been truly inspiring and to to help give a voice to that but also to help support the transition and change and development in any way we can is is purely inspirational so that's what gives me huge amount of pleasure and joy especially, yes brilliant well, I'd say that's an extremely positive note to end on. Um, I think we're all fascinated to see uh, where you take the organisation over the next decade and, and, and navigate these interesting challenges we face and, and keep, obviously, food and farming at the absolute centre of, of, of everything that's crucial to the country. So, um, Caroline, thank you so much for your time. It's been a joy to talk to you and I look forward to catching up again in the near future. Oh, well, and thank you very much indeed, Michael. Always lovely to talk with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye.